0: Welcome in, it's Wednesday, it's Skell on NFL. The voice of Mark Hogan here again with James. Michael's going to take the week off. Not a bad one, James, I have to say, for him to be taken off. Um, I don't want to talk about your Patriots. I don't think you want to talk about your Patriots. Uh,
1: I I don't, Mark. I'm not going to lie because it seems that uh, every week is getting regressively worse. So, I thought, um, you know, if you're going to talk about the Patriots, obviously we've covered the quarterback situation, we've covered the, the coach uh, we've covered skill positions, and now we we can cover the kicker. Yeah, <laughs> but, for real. <laughs> I'm not sure what's going to come next week. Jeez. Just it just look. It's it's, it's, it's getting bad to worse. I I've got over the hump now of being I suppose depressed with the performance this year, and my mind is sorely focused now on the third week in April when, when when the draft comes along. That's the way I'm looking at it. I just I forgot about this year. It's over now. It's a case of what pick can we get, and uh, who who can who can land to us at that, that pick. Looks like we're going to get probably number three or four. We're probably in typical Patriot fashion. We probably were in the last couple of games and end up at eight or nine. So, um, but look, at, after the last week's last two weeks' performance, I think our quarterback situation, our offense situation is abysmal at an all-time low. Uh, receivers and tight ends run, run the wrong out. Um, third down backs, blowing blocks. Quarterbacks throwing the, throwing the ball away. Uh, for interceptions, one worse than, than the next. So... There's no, there's no positive facet to, to the offense whatsoever. Um, and then you contrast where the defense are. They're only conceding 10 points over the last couple of games. And they're they're performing, I have to say, admirably most of them. But we're still giving up big plays on, uh, on the passing game. JC Jackson was absolutely torched again on Sunday. So you wonder why they bring him back. But look, at, I'm trying to stay on the bright side. I'm looking at Christian Barmore. I'm looking at Gonzalez coming back. I'm looking at Matthew Judon. I'm saying on am 24. So let's 23 and move on. Next
0: topic, please. <laughs> yeah, you know, because over the course of this podcast, I suppose we're not going to talk in depth about so many games. We're going to weave in a few uh, conversations as <laughs> well. And that's why we won't go into depth on your Patriots. But there's a few things that do kind of pop up. Um, first of all, when you say the 10 points, it's kind of, look, the game before that was obviously the Colts, the game that they should have won. And the Colts now are obviously sitting in the playoff spot. So maybe you can take some something from that but when you talk about the kicker it is so funny like how many ways we want to break the Patriots down but like it makes you a bit uneasy being like why did they get rid of Nick Folk the former kicker like I mean he's old obviously but when that was shanked that the would be winner or sorry game tying for the Patriots the other day I suppose fans are definitely angry and I don't want to have the whole Bill Belichick narrative and we're actually we'll probably touch on that on Thursday with me Jason and Michael back but has Bill Belichick in being the general manager saved himself from being fired already? Because if it was another general manager, maybe a general manager would be scapegoated or they would have gotten rid of the head coach. But that Nick Folk, that's all down on Belichick now. Yeah, it's like you got rid of a perfectly fine kicker to go with a younger guy for no apparent reason.
1: Yeah, I, I fully agree you. And the answer to your question is yes. Um, if that was a separate GM... The GM would have been gone, I think, probably four or five weeks ago, truthfully speaking, but because Belichick occupied that role. And, and I did say, remember, remember week one when we spoke, I had no faith in Belichick, the GM, but I had faith in him as the head coach. And here we are. We spent a fourth round pick on Chad Ryland. Um, he's been very, very poor this year. If he was any other team, he'd be cut. Nick Folk, I think, is in the top five in, in terms of percentage completion within 50 yards over the last three years. So it made no sense to get rid of him. I just can't understand it. And like historically... You have to say that we've always had good kickers. in Vinatieri, Gostowski, etc. And, like, we had Nick Folk, who, yes, he was old and he had the odd gro- groin strain every now and then. But he was extremely reliable. Like, his extra points were were super. He was operating above 95%. And I think he, he had the longest running streak, if I'm not mistaken, inside 40 yards in the whole league, even beyond Justin Tucker. So to get rid of him for minimal cap space, to be honest, what, what are we talking here? A few hundred thousand in cap space, kick, uh, kicker v kicker. So... That was a decision that I was scratching the head. And then to blow a fourth round pick on this guy, look, he has some proven to meet all this year so far. Um, and that's just one one of the many decisions I think Belichick the GM has made in years previous that you're saying, you know, they just don't make any logical sense. So you you could sometimes you can you can look at picks and go, yeah, look, they can see how their college fund was fabulous and there were skill positions and they can they can come good. And maybe they just don't. But in this instance, I I can't point to any positive reasoning whatsoever. So I think Belichick
0: has to check take take the L in that one. Yeah, Mickey Loom, as I read a quote from him during the week, he's the Saints general manager talking about the end of Peyton, especially and kind of even going back as far as 2015, saying that, like, you want to, as general manager, not fall into that mistake of getting rid of a head coach that's still talented just because you're losing. Mm-hmm but then you also have to realize when an era is over and like, I don't know, maybe I'm falling into that camp now at the moment that Belgic has said a good head coach, but like, it's just this whole, like, cause and I, I said at the start of this, that I want to weave in a few different topics and I suppose I'll, I'll, pro, I'll put this one in here because the Carolina Panthers just fired their head coach and David Tepper, the new owner there, I suppose, when you look at him and you look at the likes of um, Jim Ursay from the Colts, we should know so quickly and readily the names of owners of these different teams. Mm-hmm. But Jim Ursay can't get off Twitter and is forever saying just mad stuff on there. And, you know, he, I don't know, he's just a bit of a loose cannon I've described him as before. And then David Tepper just completely foreshadowed that he was going to fire Frank Reich when he came out and was like, he made sure he was known to be cursing coming out of the locker room after the Carolina Panthers lost the other day. Those guys are so temperamental that I, as a Cardinals fan, I'm like, geez, like Michael Bidwell, this this stuff that goes on within the Cardinals now, and, you know, the players and the atmosphere mm-hmm. and them having to pay for meals. It's like, geez, I'd almost stick with Michael Bidwell because I know what I have with him. Not that I want Robert Kraft to, you know, sell the team. That's not what I'm getting at here. But, you know, as far as an owner just playing it safe and sticking, because. You know, when you start making moves, I wouldn't want to have a David Tepper run the team and just making a move to make a move. Like, he was the one that wanted Bryce Young as the quarterback. Like, apparently, the, the front office wanted CJ Stroud, but Bryce Young was there, and David Tepper said, I want a mark on my team, and went after it. So when you kind of look at something like that, you still have to be appreciative that rash decisions aren't being made, right?
1: Absolutely. Um and like I, I, I would always like someone to be, um, I suppose, proactive and not overly reactive. And I think when looking at Trepper, I think he's had what um, this is probably six firings in five years. Is that right? And like at the end of the day, like who's hiring these coaches? It's him. You know, he's the one that's picking up, interviewing these coaches and making the decision. And ultimately, he's proven that he can't make a good decision on a coach, and didn't doesn't giving them not giving them sufficient time to set in because the NFL is a difficult league. So there's every coach has has his struggles. Um, so I, I'm I'm content to know that Robert Kraft is more, I would say, methodical, and he can read the room an awful lot better in New England, in Massachusetts as a whole, as to just go firing everyone. Because at the end of the day, I think he's more of a planner. He's a very a hugely successful businessman, um, who has been involved in major mergers. So he's got he's got patience in business, and I think that that has kind of has has been shown. You know what I mean in uh, in in his, his sporting life. So I I don't I wouldn't have liked to see him you know, when when. When things started going bad after like in a week seven, week eight, him to fire Belichick and fire the GM like like the Raiders did. I just I just that screams that that screams a kind of overreaction to a degree. Um so I let Belichick run through the end of the year and then make a conscious decision where he can part ways positively. Because I think I think he deserves that, to be honest. Right. I, I do I, I agree with you saying, Mer. I just think I do think the race is ran, And I think Kraft wants the Patriots to maintain relevancy. And freshness, um, because if you ever visit that Stadium and the area that he's built up, it's it's awesome. It's like it's, it's a town basically. So I think he wants that to get rejuvenated again because it's kind of lost him because it's um now at the minute.
0: Yes, we were because David and made those comments. I don't know. Did you see them? And it was that he said he wants to find a head coach for the next thirty years that will basically say a eulogy at his funeral, and then he corrected and said hopefully he lives another forty years. But I was like, that's. I don't know that's just a bit. I'm not going to say it's weird, or whatever, but like it's too hands on for me that the owner is saying, I want to be so close with the head coach that that's where we get to. It's like, yeah, it throws up like images of Bill Parcells, like one of the legendary coaches, and it's such an influence on coaches to this day in the NFL, Bill Belichick included. He didn't stay around for more than like four or five years with teams, he bounced around an awful lot yeah. because he didn't want things getting stale. Um, not uh, look, things might be stale in New England, but it's definitely that once you open up that kind of worms, yeah. like there's been so many teams now, whether it's the Cardinals um, the Panthers now, the Texans that have been going with those one and done coaches yeah. that, you know, like it's a very diff- and there's no as of right now, there's no head coach that's really standing out. We talked recently on a different podcast who were the front runners to be the head coaches next year in this cycle? Like, no one really stands out because there's an awful lot of parody, which is just it goes to show the group think in the NFL. Like, your Lou Anarumos that look like absolute certs, the defensive coordinator for the Cincinnati Bengals, you know, he they don't have a good defense right now, so teams aren't going to want to take him on. So, it'll be interesting to see who does come there. And when you're talking about the first overall pick and whether they're going to be in that race. You're probably hoping that the Panthers have the same bounce that the Raiders had. That when they, you know, yeah. when you get a new head coach or an interim, you seem to win one or two more games than you would have otherwise. Yeah. But New England, it's definitely they're in there with the race, and it's you're surely going to want a, a young guy with the future quarterback that's going to be Drake May or Caleb Williams. But I suppose it's going to be a massive selling point. But James, I wonder, is this the hardest? head coaching vacancy to fill over maybe the last 20 years because oh. someone is going to have to be the guy. Someone has to be the Alex Ferg- or has to replace Alex Ferguson. You saw how that went for Man United, yeah. you know? And it's like, I don't know who's going to willingly, just because of the promise of a really young, talented quarterback in the draft, is going to go in there and say, yeah, I'm going to take the reins for that. Yeah,
1: like if you look at, uh, that's a great example Alex Ferguson. <clears throat> he he built um, multiple dynasties, which is um, obviously in a terminology. And, it's a very, very hard case to follow that because straight away the media are on you. Because they're always drawing comparisons with, with with your ethos, your coaching, your coaching ability, uh wins. It's all about wins. And whoever takes over the job, I think has to be an extremely strong character. I don't think Robert Kraft can take a punt on like you know, putting in a Sean McVay or Kyle Shannon and entire people who who are super for those franchises at the time. I just don't see it. I don't see like a Mike McDonald and a metal floor. Those that age group coming in. To a team like the Patriots, I see someone more like a Vrabel, Mike Vrabel, who, who knows the history of, of the Patriots organization, has a relationship, is in the Patriots Hall of Fame, and as we know, is is a I was gonna say a hard bastard. <laughs> he's he's well up like he's he's mentally very tough. You know what I mean? He's well able to mix it. You have seen the chirping that goes on with him. I would like to see him, if, if when the time comes, go into the position, because I think he can do two things. One is he's, a top, he's a top head coach, you might believe. I know the record doesn't show at the minute, but I do believe he's a top head coach. And two, he's got this strong mentality to, t- to take on the role. Because wherever goes in, you have to be able to embrace the role and also put your own stamp on it without turning the house upside down, if you know what I mean. And because that, that place was built on, you know, I can use all the phrases and all the cliches, but just honest endeavour, hard work, and you know, doing your job as best as possible. So I want someone to... Continue that to a degree, but also put a freshness into it and, you know, kind of rejuvenate the whole thing as a whole. So, yeah. Mike Reb for me, Mark.
0: Yeah, you'd wonder wonder where Bill O'Brien has gone on all of this. He seems his name hasn't been mentioned in weeks and surely you put something on him. Uh, Again, I said we're going to keep on uh, bringing in these kind of topics and weave them in. So I'd love your opinion on... I can't believe Josh Dobbs. He was the poster boy for the NFL, it seemed, two or three weeks ago. And now apparently he's going under evaluation after a four-interception game, granted, but two of those weren't his fault. Like, they, they were not his fault. And um, When we're talking about that Mac Jones was left in there for too long, I heard Kevin O'Connell talk, Kevin O'Connell, the head coach for the Vikings, talk that Nick Mullins is healthy and maybe he goes back in. Is this not the problem that, like, Fans want to see a replacement when it's Mac Jones, but like Josh Jobs does not need to be evaluated. I couldn't believe that was even a question. It's like, he is one bad game? They obviously had the loss against the Broncos the week before that wasn't hardly yeah. on him. Is this the is this the flip side? Would you say, or are you all in on yeah? Let's replace the quarterback after he's had a one bad game? No,
1: because I'm like I'm coming from a sporting position. Uh, who's like you, you play a sport at a, at a good level? and You understand that. Like players need confidence, right? Um, and confidence is a buzzword in sport, right? Uh, but first and foremost, if you're the quarterback, you're obviously the main player on the team, and you influence the team most. But you're also human. So I, I look at the NFL sometimes and professional sport as a whole, and say these some of these coaches don't think these guys are human because Josh Jobs had a bad game. Fair enough, right? The last week previous was not his fault, if you ask me. I think that was the team as a whole. What he's done since coming to the franchise has been nothing short of American to get them, to keep the position there in the position there at the moment. So when a coach comes out that so he's reevaluating the position, you know, that's that's a touch harsh, harsh you ask me. That's really harsh because I think Josh Dobbs has to be, I suppose it's difficult to say, allow time to embed himself into the team. But also you understand, like we're, you know, we're 12 and 13 games into the season. So I, I see the head coach looking at it. We have an opportunity to come out. And you know, the NSC as a whole, we'll probably touch on it here at the minute, is you know, it's really what bad three teams. It's wide open. It's absolutely wide open, you know. And I just think he needs to be afforded more opportunity, especially when you consider that he is, he's not part. Is he four weeks of the franchise? Would that be right? Three weeks? You know, give or take.
0: Three or four. Yeah, yeah, it couldn't be more than that. Yeah, it's its probably four. But it's like, four weeks.
1: In either instance, tomato, tomato. You know, it's just a matter of three or four weeks. And to, to learn a position as difficult as that with the playbook, coming to a new team, uh, I just think it's disrespectful and tough on him because now he had a bit of a role. He had a bit of you know, momentum picked up. I understand the four interceptions him back a bit, which and I agree with you, two of them weren't his fault. But when you hear this kind of language coming of your head coach after, I suppose, the lack of trust that was entrusted in him in Arizona, being told he wasn't going to be traded on the day and then told he was, probably he has his mind racing at the moment. So I'm for giving the player a chance. But I understand the dog-eat-dog enterprise and head coaches' records depend on the players in the field also.
0: That's yeah, a funny one because Josh Jobs, only a month ago, we were saying that he's playing for a future starting job. With the Vikings next year, and it's how quickly and fickle the league is that that happens. Um, We're going to talk about the Bills and the Chiefs in a minute, but there's something else that kind of came across my timeline this week, and it was a funny Instagram comment that I saw that kind of made me think because it had gotten 20,000 likes on it. Um, There was some interesting, and there has been all year, interesting refereeing decisions. One of them came in the Chiefs and um, sorry, in the Bills and Eagles game, so I really should have brought it up then. But we'll, we'll talk about the game after this. But there was an interesting decision and a horse collar that wasn't called on Josh Allen yeah. that probably would have resulted in a touchdown and said they have a field goal that's missed and we'll get into how that affected the game later on. Um, Amon Ross and Brown, the wide receiver for the Detroit Lions, was subsequently uh, fined after a hit on Thursday. And he was talking about, hey, that's 5% of his paycheck. There was another call in actually that Minnesota Vikings-Bears game or was it? No, there was another call anyway over the weekend that uh, someone's face mask came off and they had to take off their helmet to readjust it and they were flagged for a taunting penalty and the ball was brought up. Actually, was the Bears? it was for the Bears and that had an impact on the game. The comment I saw, James, was referees should do press conferences after games. Ooh. Do you think they should? Do you think it should put them under the same amount of scrutiny and pressure the players feel under and ask them why that not only was Josh Allen didn't get given the horse collar, but he was then flagged for intentional grounding.
1: Um, I fully, I, I think it's, it's actually not a bad idea at all. Um, I don't want referees to be attacked. You know what I mean, But I also want to, I, I do, I would have always said I want them to justify their decisions. Um, I, I tell you, as a player, the most frustrating thing is when no, you know uh, you've been on the wrong side of a decision and the referee won't speak to you. And it's the same as, as a supporter or a fan in any sport, when you can see, obviously, video evidence and television That they've made a terrible call and it has an actual direct impact on the results of the game. It's so frustrating and it actually puts a a dank taste in your mouth as a supporter or even a neutral supporter. But I think it's a super idea. And you have to understand these referees are well paid. You know, soccer referees are well paid. You know, and like that, when they make a decision, especially when they have all the support in the world, they've got people back in New York who can make calls, they've got numerous referees beside them. I think there's six, seven referees in an NFL game where they can make, you know, they can take their time and decisions because I think teams would forced them the opportunity to, you know, defer over a call, deliberate over a call if in the event it had, had uh, you know, impact on the game. Super idea. Will it ever transpire? I don't know. I can't see it happen. I don't think Goodell would ever put a referee in that position. You know, um, I, I think actually, in my opinion, I know this kind of sounds a bit crazy, I think the NFL thrives off this, these kind of decisions because it just creates talking points. It creates clicks. It creates conversations between the likes of you and I. And like that, that comment you said about 20, 000 legs, that's 20,000 disgruntled supporters of some team this week, probably proportionally built. Uh And, you know, like, it's 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 completely irrelevant right now at the moment. And after the NFL season's over, referees die down. And then it comes back again, and it all starts again. Because it all started for me going back, God, do you, do you remember the Rams and Saints played uh, in the Mercedes-Dome in the NFC Championship game? And the, the last play where I think the Saints match I can't remember the Rams receiver. Or no, sorry, it was it was the Saints receiver that got absolutely butchered by the Rams cornerback. I can't remember who it was now, but when that when I saw that call live, I was like, sweet Jesus, how would they not call that? And that completely changed the game. You know, obviously. But those type of incidents have have seemed to become way more apparent now. Especially with offensive pass interference. Like you strive me soft watching Gronk. The poor man was getting manhandled, you know, because he was so big, wasn't getting the same in fairness. So that seems to happen. Regularly now, regularly, where these, these calls are kind of would you say, Max, was like two a game or one a game? Is this where they're kind of borderline lun- lunatic? What why, why is the ref looking at? There's at least one a game, isn't there, per game.
0: But that's it, I suppose. And um, when you go back to the original question about like, will the referees, I don't think anything will really be achieved, I suppose. Like, I, I, I love the idea, but I suppose they're going to come out with non answers, really. But is that when ref, when players are put under such scrutiny, you'd like the referees to feel that as well, because there is too many of these calls. I'm trying to think who that players as well. I feel like it was Nickel, Roby Coleman for some reason, but I might be wrong there. I cannot think yeah. they're, one of, they're one of those names that bounces around. I think it's, I'm pretty, I'm pretty confident it's a double barrel name that's uh, in there. Yeah. But uh, I, I definitely thought it was really interesting because it might, it might put them under a bit more pressure when they're throwing flags or not throwing flags but I feel like they're just gonna do the Well no, because you know how coaches come out after they've been on the right side of a decision and they say we'll have to watch it back. Whereas then if yeah. a ref if a head coach is on the wrong side of a decision, they'll know exactly what they want to say and they'll have to hold their tongue. Whereas when it comes to a referee, they're hardly gonna be, you know, offensive to themselves. They'll just have to be honest. And I don't know, maybe it'd be like VA or it's like when people see it, it only gives another element and it's like, you know. It's changing the talking point, but it's still a very frustrating talking point. Oh, he came out afterwards and he admitted he's wrong. This Clay Matthews is always against us. Anytime we have him, he's he's against us or whatever. But I definitely think there's something to it because it's going to put them to a level of accountability. Because as we move forward and talk about that game, the Bills and Chiefs game, uh, Bills and Eagles game, we know obviously that the Eagles won in overtime 37-34. But there was decisions, and that horse collar... It ultimately led to a miss field goal. There was another one um, by um, Tyler Bass, the kicker. They were in horrible conditions, but we obviously know that mm-hmm. the Drake Elliott was able to nail a massive one. But it leaves nice. it leaves the Bills in a very tough spot now. Um, I mean, that was one of the best performances that. Josh Allen, a quarterback, has had of the year. It was Joe Brady, the offensive coordinator, second game now in charge, and we saw Josh Allen rushing for eighty-one yards. They weren't all designed quarterback runs, but there definitely was one. His um, he ran in for two touchdowns. Wasn't it the first yeah. one? The first one was a lovely designed seven-yard run, and the second one was he's obviously been given a bit more freedom to oh, uh, wow. to take off. Yeah, and he, he's like you know he's throwing lads off his back. I should say he came into the game with twenty-four rushing yards per game on average so pushing it up to 81 does show that Joe Brady has maybe changed the offense but I suppose then what it comes down to is Josh Allen misses Gabe Davis on a throw that I thought must have been affected by the weather but I don't think anyone's given him that credit to Gabe Davis in overtime that would have been their walk-off touchdown
1: so you think it's come down to that I, I would, I'd have to say it comes down to the Bills' defense again when I, when I watched the game I thought to myself at the end of it, do you know what that reminds me of uh, 13 seconds remember that Chiefs. They had thirteen seconds to keep the Chiefs out and they couldn't do it. And they were heading they were heading to High Bank Stadium for the AFC championship game. And look at this game and saying Sean McDermott and his defense, they blew it again. Look at what the three plays in overtime mark. You know, they had the they had the Smith catch, swift run, Hurts run, put the stop behind them. You know what I mean? And like I'm saying, if 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 Anthony's gonna be the downfall of this team, I don't believe it's gonna be Josh Allen. I don't believe it's gonna be the O line. I don't believe it's gonna be the receivers and whatever kind of uh, divide the media try put him between Jiggs and Ellen it's not going to be that if you ask me Um it's going to be the defence when, when games heat up for the Bills down the stretch it's, the defence has let them down and like in fairness Jack Allen, he performed that was his best performance of the year by a, by a mile by a country mile he was kid was awesome he was deadly so I can't look at him and say yes he missed the throw I agree with you uh, so he should have made a guy his calibre but if we're going to assess the t- team as a whole in you know, all three phases of play the defense is let them down again and like McDermott has to put his hand up for that. I think he's he I think he's this may sound a bit ludicrous, but he hate to be on the shopping block at the end of the year if things don't come right because they, they just they have a quarterback who you can call a generation quarterback for that franchise and they're just not getting it done. They're not getting it done. And it's going to keep repeating because the quarterbacks they're coming up against are going to be there for a long time. You know, the Boroughs, the Mahomes, etc, especially in this division. So I, I I think you should watch that space with McDermott. Um He's, he's, he's garnered a good reputation across the league as a whole, uh, as a good defensive mind also. But it just seems like when the big games come down the stretch and it begins to heat up, the defense seems to just blow a big yardage on big plays. And that's going to be their, their master decline the in the year.
0: Yeah, he's going kind to of come under pressure because this was definitely uh, not a Super I don't know. Super Bowl or bust is high expectations because the Cowboys are going to say that themselves. But it's definitely a championship game or bust. And as of right now, they're standing, according to that New York um, Times playoff predictor, at 15% chance of getting to the playoffs. A lot has to fall their way. But, I mean, it could fall their way because, again, they yeah. played stedder. They They really, it was a fantastic performance by them. That's why I think it's... The fans are definitely putting on that Gabe Davis throw it's it's tough because these games always come down to one of those you know standout yeah. moments that it's very obvious to blame but like you're after saying he had a fantastic performance there and um, Tony Romo in the end you know when that touchdown is scored by Jalen Hurts in overtime just calls the championship DNA and it's like yeah I you put a lot onto that but. When they're not playing that championship DNA, the Bills, they were they lost the Broncos in Week Ten when they shot themselves in the foot too many men on the field at the end of the game. Yeah. They lost that game to the Jets at the beginning of the year when Aaron Rodgers went out. So you know you're saying that when push comes to shove, but it's like it's been ever and through throughout. You know that's three games if we talk about this game, the the Broncos and the Jets that they should have really had and they weren't able to put away. So it's like that definitely comes back to coaching. If you go back to that championship game. Against the Chiefs, what was it? Twenty seconds left, and again they go into yeah. overtime, and they go in and they lose it. And I saw an incredible stat: Josh Allen now is zero six in overtime games. That's Easy. down. That's that's culture right there, James.
1: Geez, I, I if you told me that now, if you asked me that, I wouldn't read it, James. Zero and six. That's again as as, a rec, as records go. Uh, <laughs> I hate to say it, that's a mm. That's a business So like. But in, in those overtime games, three come to mind straight away. Was and I, I know it, it, again it's easy for us to put the blame on the quarterback or assign assign the portion of blame to him, but was it him that was you know that was the mass contributor to, to, to getting beaten? No, it's not. No. You know what I mean? And I know because they come away with field goals, but again I, I reiterate the thirteen seconds game against the Chiefs and, and, and then last week, defense let him down big time. But yeah. look at Philly really held him up. No, for 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 Jalen Hurts. So. Yeah, but like, that's that's a very very hard, I suppose, uh, mantle to carry, as as Josh Allen, especially in a franchise that has been perennial losers. To be honest, you know, go back to Jim Kelly's time. You know, I, you know, I don't mean that in a bad way, but that's the truth. Like they haven't won, they haven't got it done. So that's 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 in their DNA, lack of championship DNA. You know, that can seep into a team too when you haven't got history. So, you know, I don't th- I don't think they're going anywhere. To be honest, man it'd
0: be insane now if Sean McDermott was on the open market because absolutely everyone would want to be like talk about a head coach that teams would want he would definitely be the top name which would be insane especially with maybe one of those um, young quarterbacks or whatever you know that that would be nuts but when you look at what Phil Duffy did uh, DeAndre Swift the running back seems to be coming into his own an awful lot. I mean, that was a trade that worked out for the Lions as well. Don't get me wrong. But in this game, he averaged 5.7 yards per attempt, 6.3 yeah. the game before. Um, when we talked about this recently, obviously, Devontae Smith in that last drive, but throughout the, day, the, the game, has been stepping up in an, a massive way. Now the teams are focused so much on AJ Brown. And then Jalen Hurts, like look, he had the interception that was not on him at, at all. It was completely batted. you um, could not put yeah. it on him. but those runs again, whether it's the the touch push or that run at the end, his hand mark. And again, I I don't want to be saying because this this sounds too much like I'm putting wins as a quarterback. To that I hate that, but they just have that pedigree that is absolutely insane. Really, like. It, it, did you see the response to, uh, from Jason Kelsey and Jalen Hurts when they watched the game-tying field go, go over? They yeah. were like, I I loved it. I loved it. The two of them looked pissed off. And it's not pissed off that Jake Elliott's after kicking that insane, worldly field goal. It's that, why did we leave it go down to this? Why were we yeah. so tight? We're world beaters. We should be better than this. I loved it.
1: His, his face was kind of expressionless. It, it looked like he was, Hurts was kind of shaking his head as in, that this is a ridiculous situation, Do you know what I mean. And, and I, when I was watching it, I was kind of thinking, "Mark, is he is he kind of shaking his head at, at the situation? At, uh, is he blaming himself for a degree, you know, or is he actually just admiring Jake Elliott for being able to pull off a field goal after that magnitude, which was awesome, I have to say. Again, it was it's just shows the benefit of a banker. Um, but like their mentality to come out in, and it, uh, there was a great, there's a super. Um, I love the sound effects that the, the snippets of videos that come out from different teams. Listen to. So Brandon Graham came out today, and he said at the end of it like like the Bills you effed up. <laughs> Jalen Hurts is going to finish it, and and no, behold, he did. You know what I mean? So like it just they are a team that are just oozing with confidence. So even from situation play to know that they're going they're going to close out games, and I think home field advantage is going to be a huge thing uh, as they head towards the playoffs I, I, themselves and themselves and actually Dallas are the only teams that have home are undefeated at home, so Dallas. I know I'm changing the topic to Dallas at the minute because Dallas Philadelphia Niners try not really. But if Dallas can somehow sneak, because Philadelphia have to come to them in two weeks' time, I think. If they can somehow sneak a victory and get above Philadelphia, it's going to, it's gonna make for a box office, though. Because home I think home field advantage is gonna have a huge a huge say on who who comes out of the NFC as a whole. Um but I, I just think it's hotten up up to a degree now whereby every game that's coming this week has major ramifications on the overall structure of the playoffs. And the matchups coming for every team are hot. They're really hot. Like we're, we're not talking about, you know, fixtures here that are just going to be walkovers. Like I took note there of Dallas. Dallas have the Seahawks, Eagles, Bills, Dolphins, Lions. I mean like that is that's as hard to run. If you're looking at degree of difficulty, that's as hard a run as you're going to have in any in any, any 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 team. So um I just think it's going to be really exciting. There's just there's four teams there, three teams you could say, that uh that are kind of that their head is way above the party and everyone else. And whoever finishes first, you know, remains to be seen,
0: obviously. Yeah, I had circled the Philadelphia Eagles last two games and their next two games. They had to go Chiefs, Bills, 49ers and Cowboys. And at that point, then the Cowboys schedule gets harder. It was actually really nicely done by the schedule makers to kind of put that in there that maybe the Eagles flip up and then it'll be on the Dallas to, um, you know, win their way to number one seed. But I think now mm-hmm. that, that, that now that I've seen the Eagles come through against the Chiefs, if anyone hasn't seen the game winning uh, touchdown or sorry, w- which touchdown was that by Devontae's or no, by, Z- by Zakia, Sorry, it was at the at the beginning of the fourth quarter. Yeah. To go ahead, the throw Rit-roll. from Jalen Hurts. Oh my God. How Rit-roll. he directs traffic. He, he rolls out Jalen Hurts like to the edge. He anticipates so perfectly the pass rush coming onto him. He directs traffic and lofts it up there from the 35 yard line. Zacchaeus somehow gets around the double coverage that he's in and turns around and is facing the ball while the two uh, defenders are looking at him. That I was like, yep. I love that as quarterbacking. And that was kind of the moment that i was thinking that the eagles are going to win this and thus i was thinking yeah the cowboys now don't really have a chance to that division because those are two difficult teams don't get me wrong the 49ers gonna be a challenge but i'm gonna favor the eagles in that game and then the cowboys when it's up will no longer as i thought it could potentially could have been for the top of the nfc east uh we have but a few minutes left hard. here oh yeah far away
1: last thing for me with regards to cowboys right we'll talk you talked about josh allen over time like mike mccarthy and Dak prescott collectively in the playoffs, in three nineteen or three and six, so so their, their big game wins are few and far between. I have to say they're operating thirty three percent. So if they somehow like you can talk about playoffs, but uh, the Eagles game the week after next that's a playoff game, really and truly. Mm-hmm. That, it, it has that magnitude about it. So that 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 game will tell me everything I need to know about about Cowboys. I know everyone is singing the praises the minute and they're high flying and Jack is slinging that ball around and Tony Pollard is coming into his own and the defense is getting after the quarterback. Super, but like up against the Eagles, let's let's see what they're made of.
0: I might get it out on my social media. We're definitely going to talk about it on Thursday's podcast. The Dallas Cowboys, they Phil's goal to a certain extent because they are a bit like the Dolphins, beating up on teams that are way below them. But then when it comes to the big games, they have lost. So that's going to be a massive test in a couple of weeks' times. Uh, we have a couple of minutes left, so we talked that we would do this uh, last week we mentioned that we were going to do it this week you ranked the afc we'll quickly do it for the nfc as we as the calendar turns to december this week and um, we're going to say the eagles 49ers lines and cowboys all make the playoffs someone from yeah. the nfc south i don't want to touch that to be honest it's we're going to talk about that on the podcast as well but I it's just so frustrating. so frustrating yeah. so that means there's two left two playoff spots left and right now these teams mm. there's the c six and five seahawks the six and six Vikings, the five and six Rams, the five and six Packers. You'd imagine two of them are going to go: Seahawks, Vikings, Rams, Packers.
1: Yeah, I don't. Um, the Packers, from a division perspective, I don't think the record is going to be good enough to come out ahead. Ahead of uh, quite, so I'm going to move them away. Um, the Vikings, I just think their defense is, is is solid. Justin Jefferson is coming back, I believe, next week. I could be wrong. there, but down the boy, down. and
0: then you'd imagine he comes yeah, back. Yeah,
1: he's, he's out for next week, so I'm looking at the Vikings going. Watch this space. I'm going, to, I'm going to say the Vikings. You're going, going to get a playoff spot. Um, and then the last one, what's the tricky one?
0: Jeez. So is are just so saying, playing it. so miserably right now. And it's like when, when Matthew Stafford is in there for the Rams, I do like the offense. But the Seahawks had a lot going for them as well.
1: Yeah, I, in the how year, can you go for, How can you even mention Saints? How can you mention Tampa? I, just, I can't even look at them. Oh, it's frustrating. You know, it respect, honest. I can't. I just can't. Um. You've obviously got Philly and Dallas coming out. You've obviously got the Niners. I I'd, I'd probably say, if from a retrospective, probably the Seahawks would would pick the Rams. Mm-hmm. I think in the West. I think they will. Um, just Rams have just really further to see this year. They've they've been really poor, just down to personnel and caution. They just will not have it at the minute. So I'm going I'm going to say the Seahawks. I'm going to bank on them and say they're 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 my two picks.
0: There we go. It's exciting to think that we're in December now. This is absolutely the stretch run. Uh, yeah. We are perfectly out of time, so there's no more no point in, anal- in, anal- in analysing it um, anymore. I'll be off for the next couple of weeks. From this podcast, I'll be over in America. So, James, I'll talk to you quickly sure. before Christmas. So, uh, yeah, for James, I've been Mark Ogden. So, thanks everyone for listening. Thanks, folks.